We belong. We belong everywhere. Whatever you want to do, wherever you want to go, you belong. Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode of We Belong, the podcast that amplifies the voice of new daughters of Europe. I'm Yasmina Wiran and I am your host and today I'm joined by Sausen Shabli, which is for me a great inspiration and I'm sure for many of us. So Sausen uh, is, has been a politician in Germany and I'm very, very happy to welcome her. So welcome, Sausen. Hi, everyone. So Sausen, you have been um, a politician for quite some time, but before that, um, you were born in Germany, you grew up uh, there, and you have actually a very interesting background because your parents um, came to Germany as Palestinian refugees. So, How was it growing up in Germany uh, with your background? Um, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, actually, I was born in Berlin. My parents fled Palestine in 1948. Um, they fled to Lebanon, where they stayed like for 20 years in refugee camps. And 11 of my siblings were born basically in a refugee camp. My father then decided in the 70s that he doesn't want to stay in Lebanon because Palestinians have no voice, no choice, no perspective. So he decided to come to, um, to, to flee to Germany, um, where I was born then in 1978. Um, it, was, it was very hard for me and my family in this country because the system was so unjust. I mean, you, you have to imagine that um, we were stateless for 15 years because Germany um, back then decided not to give people like us, my family, like a status where they can just be safe and stay. So my father, for example, Um, they kicked him out of Germany twice. That was terrible um, for me. Um, and the, the, the whole situation, like living in, in a place where you never know what's going to happen next, had a tremendous impact on my life. Actually, was also the, the driver for me to, to go into politics. Um, so for the first 15 years, it was very difficult. And we were poor, we were stateless, we had no voice, nothing, right? So um, then after um, I became German, I got the German citizenship, things have changed, basically. I was able to study and I studied political science. Um, yeah, and then it was the first time for me actually to feel free and, um, and Germany... Actually, it, it's funny because I remember that I always wanted to be German. Like, I, I so wanted to be part of this country. And, and the moment I had the passport in my hand, I, I felt like for the first time, yes, I'm German. Now I'm German also, like, um, uh, like had the documents in my hands. And, 
That's also why I never dealt with integration and Islam in the first years of my political careers. My focus was international politics. I always said to myself, you want to show them that you are able to do more than integration, not because you're Muslim and an immigrant, you deal with these issues, but you have a voice in other um, issues. So the main focus of my work was basically international affairs. That was it, actually. The struggle between, in the first years, the struggle between belonging and having a place, a safe place, and then on the other hand, not being German, but feeling so German, and then finally becoming a real German. Absolutely. And it is a very interesting topic because a lot of people born and raised in Europe still struggle to have this citizenship, especially I can tell for Italy, which is the country where I was born, there is a lot of people that because of the difficulty in the law, uh, they just, um, they feel Italian, but then they don't, they can't vote, they can't participate in democracy. And I can imagine that for you, having acquired that status, of course, it makes you feel okay, I can contribute to society. But then I would say, Sausen, not everyone decides to take that step of entering into politics. And for us, I would say that you are not only one of the most uh, influent politicians in Germany, but also in Europe, because as you were said, you started uh, focusing on foreign affairs. So just to mention, you have been serving first uh, in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs um, as a, spoke, a deputy spokesperson. Um, and then you went even further. You became a, a state secretary for uh, federal affairs um, in the state government of, uh, of Berlin. And just to hear all these, you know, achievements or these appointments, people saw in you a great potential and you have been um, the face of, you know, the political scene, one of the faces, the main faces in the political scenes in, in Germany. So my first question would be, what was your initial motivation? Um, you mentioned that you wanted to show that you don't only, uh, you can't, you can contribute to more than just, you know, integration, um, poly, uh, politics or foreign affairs. Um, so I can imagine that this was part of it, but then was there also a quest for representation to have your voice heard um, as a minority? Actually, um, seeing my parents so helpless, so powerless in the face of a brutally unjust system left its mark on me, you know? I swore to myself as a girl when I was very young that I would never be so dependent on the decisions of others um, like my parents were. I will never allow others to control my life. So I started political, studied political science and joined the SPD at the age of 21. And the first political station in my life was the German Bundestag, the parliament. Um, and it was very, like, I really wanted to be there. Um, there I started as a trainee for the Social Democrats in the, areas of human, in the area of human rights. And then I became a research assistant, like a political advisor in the Bundestag. As I said, always the focus was international relations. Um, and 
And then I realized actually, like looking around and seeing what's going on in Germany, like me dealing with international affairs, sitting on podiums, discussing about the Middle East conflict, because this was my, my main issue. Um, I, th I said to myself, wow, you're like, you're like um, not taking really responsibility because I knew I have a voice, I had a network. I knew I could help so many young people like Muslim immigrants to, to have themselves a voice. So I decided actually to, to, to do then, um, to deal with Islam and integration because there was so much racism I never wanted to see actually. I never wanted to see that Germany was had so much racism and that so many people were experiencing racism because me, I was on wherever I went, I was the only like woman, um, a person of color in these international uh, politics circles, and I felt so good, you know. But then I realized, wow, this is not it. I have to do something. It's not. It's not good. Just like, just ignoring what's going on in Germany. So I decided to um, to work for the interior minister and then focus on really the Muslim communities and integration. And that was basically the first time I became visible in the German public because, you know, people, I gave interviews about my work and I realized that I was like, there were not many of me in Germany. I, I didn't know before, but I realized that there were not many who are visible, like Muslim women, who deal openly with their Islam and actually also are like, I was so honest about being a practicing Muslim and about my mu Muslim identity. And that was like, I don't know, that was a shock to so many or not a shock, but I, I, I then started to experience hate. Um, mm. that was, uh, that was the moment actually when I became visible. Absolutely. And, you know, we will get to it in a minute. I know that you face a lot of hate because of your identity and who, um, you know, the values that you embody. Um, and I can imagine that it must be hard, but also you're mentioning that you just realized the lack of representation once you enter those fears before you didn't really know you just tried and then what once you're there Actually, you realize, I ignored okay. maybe I ignored it I didn't it's not only that I didn't know I I just like I felt oh this is not my business you know what I mean and then being part of it as you say you see whoa there is so much going on in a wrong direction and precisely because of lack of um awareness on certain issues uh because exactly those people might not be from um, you know, a diverse background or understand actually the local needs or the needs on the ground of, you know, what does it mean to be an immigrant living in Germany? What, is, what are the uh, barriers that they face? And in terms of barriers, you know, I'm curious to know what was your experience of running for office? Were there, were there any barriers that you face um, Did you expect those barriers and what were those? You mean the first time I ran for office was not the time that I became state secretary. I entered politics much earlier. I, yes. I yes. never, exactly. I didn't run, like I was appointed as state secretary. 
And by then I was already like seen as a politician. And the first time I run, that was very, that was like the, the story in Germany because I decided to, to run in my constituency where my boss also wanted to run despite of the fact that he never lived in this constituency. But he, f he actually still decided to run here. And he knew, I know that he knew that I would, I would, yeah, that I wanted to run for a long time. So it was a very, very tough situation for me. Like, can you imagine a woman, a person of color um, running not only for office, but then also like competing for the same position with her boss, who's who's also the mayor of Berlin, you know? That was a big yeah. deal. I experienced so much hate, so much racism. Like people would tell me, just shut up because what do you want? You already, like you were sta your state secretary already, you got there, what else do you want? Why don't you just be thankful and step back? This is the mayor, you cannot do it. And I, I was like, no, I can't. I can't just step back because I'm telling young people and young women especially, to never give up, right? Even if it's hard, even if it's difficult. I remember I, I, my my baby was only three months when I decided to do it. Like it was hard for me, of course. And and I thought of it so many times if if I shall go this way, and um, but it was it was the right thing to do, despite of the fact that it was it was so tough and it had yeah it had caused so much pain um but um but the result we had then we had asked the members of the social democratic party for my constituency whom they would want to run for office for the bundestag and then they decided for him and i knew that i would have a very very tough stand he's been active in this constituency for so many years um but my result was not that bad, you know, it was over 40%. And there was a journalist who, um, who, who accused me, like who said that I had no chance and no one would support me. But actually, like over 40% shows that, well, there is, pe there is a lot of people, social Democrats in this constituency who actually voted for me, right? So um, it was very tough. It was very, very, very tough. Um, but um, yeah, but it was the right thing to do. And what, 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 what helped me so much was that young people would call me or write me like young immigrants who wanted to run themselves and wouldn't dare and felt encouraged by my story to run for office. And, you know, hearing these sto stories gave me like so much of of um i don't know how to f to say it but gave me so much strength i totally understand and i think that you know as you said one of your you want to talk, walk your talk right one of the main um messages that you put out there is i want other young women uh, particularly to also run to have the confidence to try so um on the same time you face a lot of backlash harsh backlash and um people 
who tell you that you should be grateful. I mean, you know how many times I heard this? Like not a long time ago, actually last year, Jana and I had a uh, a uh, an event in uh, in Luxembourg for We Belong. And apparently in the public, there was one person, an old man, who said, but why are they complaining? They should be grateful to be European. Yes. So, yes, because... Because we're born in Europe and we're giving opportunities or we take opportunities because actually you deserve that seat. 40 plus people, 40 plus percent people voted for you. So um, people recognize that you have a talent and a potential and they can relate to you in a way that yeah. you can represent them in, a, you know, in, a, in politics. So on the same times, you're always questioned on your legitimacy. And... You know, I'm curious to understand. I know it's been a very tough part of your life, but I want people listening to us, you know, to know that they can do it if they want, but also to be aware of the difficulties. So can you tell us more about the backlashes that you face and experiences both online, but also how it translated in the real world? Um, as I said, the, f the moment I became visible, that was basically the moment I started to experience hate. Um, hate began to fill my inboxes. Hate reached me on all channels, actually. And I was even attacked on the streets. So um, the first shitstorm was so tough, you know, was about sexism. I, I remember a situation where, like, no, I... Um, I did a post on Facebook about a situation that to me was a sexist thing. And then I, the hate, you cannot imagine, like people were accusing me of just talking about it because of the fact that I needed attention. And then others were saying so bad things about my Muslim identity, like I should be happy if a man is interested in me because female women are like female uh, Muslims, they are not satisfied sexually and all this stuff, you know, it was a combination between racism, sexism, it was just terrible. Since it was my first shitstorm, I like, I felt so overwhelmed. I felt so alone, so lonely. I, 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 um, but I learned from it because I learned that it's important to ask for help. You know, if you're in a shitstorm, you just, if you see people are not reacting, you should ask people to react. You should ask people to be positive and to support you and to back you because that's what you need when you're in a shitstorm, when you experience hate. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It's um, the moment you're in, wow, it's like, it, it, it can, it's so hard and it, it drives you down if you if if you don't have people around you tell who tell you just how to stand up again you know and i learned from the first shitstorm um how to stand up again i had so many like especially women for the first time um showed such a great solidarity because before i felt like women always fought me in a way, you know, always stood in my way. And when I experienced this sexism, actually it was not the first time, of course, but it was the first time I spoke about it. It was main, it were mainly women who showed solidarity. Um, yeah, so, so for those who listen to us and um, 
maybe experience hate or are afraid of entering a political position because they see you and me and Jana and others who are out there and who get all this shit, um, there is ways to, to deal with it, you know, to ask for help, to build alliances, cross-border alliances, intersectional alliances, um, to not read the shit, just to focus on the positive things. And um, yeah, there are so many ways to deal with it. And, you know, I learned like the first shitstorm was terrible. The second was also terrible, but not that much. The third kind of, you know, and I, I stopped counting actually the shitstorms. And I don't read the shit and the hate that I get. Um, I just like maybe I sometimes I, I check it and I see, okay, oof, just close it again and go on, you know, just don't yeah. preoccupy yourself too much with the hate. Just focus on the positive things because that's, that is what, what gives you the strength to continue and to not give up. That's, that's definitely the spirit. And I can just mention one of the latest probably. So we were having dinner. I was very uh, grateful to meet you last, uh, this week actually. We were having dinner together in London and celebrating Morocco winning a match, historical match, because Morocco has been now uh, the first African country to make it to the semifinals and the first Arab country too. And everyone was celebrating the streets of London. So I remember you posted a video and then we were having dinner and you were saying, okay, there is people like attacking me because of this, which is crazy. Like the minute you speak out there and this is also a problem for Twitter, I would say. Um, Actually, it's the same in Instagram. People told me just go to just maybe you switch to Instagram because people on Instagram, they are nice. I feel like they're following me wherever I am, wherever I'm loud. It's everywhere. Twitter is like, Twitter is, you know, yes, you're right. Twitter is like, whoa, another dimension. But um, yeah. but I'm getting the hate, like, as I said. Everywhere. Yes. Everywhere. And so one skill, like one, let's say, tool that you have is silencing that or ignoring. And that's something I learned or, you know, I tried to learn too in the past. Because once you get it, the first one, you know, you'll never forget it right but then you get used to it and you start what i would do is blocking them or uh, uh, just ignoring the messages and for when it comes to offline because you said that you were attacked on the street um i know that you had also some you know kind of protection so can you explain us about it actually there is not much to explain i was walking the street and then a man just um came across and, yeah, um, and attacked me and uh, told me that I should leave Germany and then, <laughs> and then continued to walk his direction. And I was so shocked. I was so shocked. I, I didn't react. Like, I didn't do a picture or nothing. Um, I was just, like, at f frozen. And... Um, Yeah, that was it, actually. It's, uh, it's something that had an impact on me because I realized like the weeks after and months after I would not walk um, with, uh, with ear pods on my, 
uh, in my ears, despite of the fact that I loved music, listening to the music and walk around, I stopped doing it because I was, I was afraid that someone would just attack me and I wouldn't see uh, see him or her. Yeah, and uh, I wouldn't go out of the house when it's dark. And yeah, unfortunately, it had some impact on me. Um, I, I, I tried to not let it control my life and it's get, it got better. Uh, but still, it's it's still um, I still cannot like uh, walk like uh, with full certainty and freedom on the streets in in Berlin. And that's you know, I heard this a lot of time from you know visible people. It is something that can be scary, and one can only imagine the impact that it had on you. So. How did you uh, cope with it on a mental health level? Not only for this episode, but in general, all this hate that you face. Um, did you take any any step because of, of that? Well, I actually, I... Um, well, there is the judicial part of it, of course. When I get hate, I sue them. But uh, 90% or over 90%, I get back the answer from, from the courts that uh, the, the, the ones who sent the hate are anonymous. Uh, how do you say? Like, they cannot Anonymous. track them. Yeah, they cannot track them because they don't write with their real names. So I don't win so often. The, the um, how do you say it? The lawsuit. The lawsuits, exactly. But I still do it, right? In order to just show that we should, we can and should never be silent on the hate. That's the first thing. Um, but what helps me is also, of course, the family, like to have someone to back you and all the, the, the networks that I built in the last years also helped me to, to deal with it. And now I just... Um, I, I, I wrote a book about it that will be published uh, in March about hate crime in order to show the people out there who feel like this has nothing to do with them, to show them that all of the hate that I experience, you experience, Jana is experiencing, every, each, everyone and each of us is experiencing because we're allowed, it also has something to do with them, you know? It, because it affects our democracy when we are silenced. And in my book, I hope that people who read it, like white people who read it, would feel like, okay, it's also my responsibility to be loud, to raise my voice against hate, even if I'm not affected or confronted with it myself. But hate has something to do with all of us, you know? So this is how I dealt with it, like writing, writing a book and just telling not only my story, but also giving examples um, on how hate affects our society and talking to Facebook or Meta and asking them actually, what are they doing against hate? You know, social media platforms have a great responsibility um, Our uh, politics have a responsibility, but also each and every one of us has a responsibility to be loud. For sure. And I, I relate a lot when you speak about the judiciary system and, you know, not being able to get 
your justice on court, which, you know, the law should protect you. And when it happened to me, even though the big one happens on, happened only once, but it left so many scars um, that I decided to sue one person instead of those hundreds of anonymous ones, or even, you know, blogs I could have, but I didn't, just because it's very expensive. Not everyone has the means. And plus, when you decide to do it, then you don't see a follow-up. It's so demotivating. You just feel like double pain. You feel like you're betrayed another time. This time, not by someone behind a screen, but by a state or, you know, a system that should be able to protect you. That's how I personally felt. And... I'm very grateful that you wrote this book. By the way, I would be very curious to know what's the title of it, if you can already share it. No, not, not yet. yet. Not yet. <laughs> I'm sorry, yes. But it's, I think it's, it just tells a lot about me. But we will share it on We Belong one, once it will be out there, just because I feel Thank that you. many people need to, to hear that. And that's precisely why we yes. interview you today. We wanted to get some advices on based on your experience, and, you know, tools to protect yourself, to protect your mental health while doing what you feel is right. So you mentioned being surrounded by, you know, people that support you. And you had some special support when sexism occurred to, from women. Then you mentioned about the importance to uh, turn off your phone or, you know, ignore certain messages. And lastly, um this book, I think, I'm sure it's been also a healing process for you to write down all that, um, you know, you learned uh, in order for others to not happen. And I would say right now you were focusing on writing this book. What's next for you? Um, what's your future in the political spheres? To be honest, I don't know. I'm disappointed right now, like the way I would say the party dealt with the whole situation. And um, I don't know if there is still a space for me in politics. My heart is like so eager <laughs> to, to be part of it. You know, I'm a, I don't know, I'm a political animal. I love politics and I always <laughs> wanted to be a politician. I always wanted to, to be heard, but I'm, also seeing right now, you know, you don't necessarily need a, a political position in order to be heard. People are still in, so interested to hear my voice and I'm heard. And maybe that's also part of the lesson taken or lesson learned. I Before I thought that the position would make, like the position is decisive for, no, how can I say it? You know, you need to have a position in order to be someone, but it's not. You make the position to be yeah. important, right? It's, it's me who, 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 who is like, who's, in, who's interesting to so many people, not my position. So I don't know what the next step is going to be first. I always like, you know, I never had a master plan in my life. People always, young people always ask me, Do you, did you know that you want to become a state secretary or whatever? I said, no. I always say no. I never, have, I never had a master plan. I knew for sure 
I want to be heard. I know that I that my position is important and I want people out there to be heard. And the second thing is I want to change the course of things. I don't want to to sit back and and just like say, well, this this system is unjust. The system is cruel and brutal. You have to be you have to be active in order to change the system, you know? So this is what I know. I know I want to make this world a better place for more of us. Where it's going to be, I don't know. I don't know. And you know, your drive is your mission. It's you want to make a change. Uh, there is different means. And you've tried one. You've built a platform. And I think that at times of social media, the opportunity to be heard by many people um, is amplified through those channels. So the minute, the minute you create that platform, and maybe you had to pass through those appointments and positions, or maybe not, but you did. And today you uh, have a legitimacy where you can say things and speak also on media and being heard um, in a way that can benefit the broader um, society or at least, you know, people who feel represented by you. So I encourage you to continue to do so. And my last question to end the episode is if you have one advice to give to the little thousand, okay, like any future uh, young woman, they will listen to this episode. Um, what would be your advice to them? The little Sausan, like if I could turn back time yeah, or the, the other little Sausans out there? Mm, I would say out there, but maybe give it to yourself and maybe okay. it would be useful for others. Okay. okay. Um, I feel that the little Sausan has done many good things and right things. She's very like tough on herself um, and very like straightforward. I never, yeah, I never showed, I never showed weakness. Like that was, that, that is something that I would like, maybe I learned from it right now because to show weakness is also a strength and to ask for help is also a strength. And I would urge every young person out there to not hesitate asking for help, to not hesitate showing weakness. Because, you know, I think it's very, very important for visible people to, all sh to also show the, the world out there that we're human beings. Okay, it's, it's like when you show weakness, it's, it's, you show vulnerable, uh, you show that you're vulnerable, you know? So also this is, um, it's not always easy, but I feel like my impact in Germany and the reason why people listen to me, young people listen to me, is because I feel like I'm authentic, you know? They see that I'm authentic, I'm real, because I show the weaknesses, because I show like also the, the failures, in my life they're they're out there right i don't um i don't need to to whitewash anything so maybe the the young sausan was not was not that good in it she was very like tough on herself 
And you know, it's such a great uh, message to share, especially as personally, it's been a big focus this year, vulnerability, trying to, for years, you know, after you experience hate, you have to push back and you want to show that you're strong because you want others to feel that, you know, they need to be strong too. But then this is such a, I think, it's almost toxic for ourselves because we're human and inside there are traumas that are left. And when I realized this, um, yeah, I, this year was a big year of vulnerability. So thank you so much for this advice. I'm sure it will speak to many of us, at least for me it does. And thank you for your time with us, Sausen. Thank you for having me and uh, please continue to be visible and loud. We need also women like you. You're doing a great job. There is so many young, not only women, but also men listening to you and what you're saying. You're such an, you're such an impressive, inspiring young um, woman. Um, I wish we had met before. You know, the, the, the last thing maybe I want to say is I would so... I, what I lack is like building alliances between people like you and me. Like we would have learned so much from each other if we had known each other before, you know, knowing you and then like giving you an ad advices, what, what I like sharing um, our stories. That is so important. And I wish that there's someone out there who helps young people to have a platform from all over the world, POC women who, who, have, who are in leadership position and who need like to have this exchange, right? It's so good that you have this podcast because it's a way up, it's a way to this, to my, to, to, to what I think is so needed. Thank you. Thank you. And we, we appreciate, especially as for us, it's, uh, it's exactly why we exist. We want to create, you know, bridges in order for people to not feel alone when they face this. So thank exactly. you so much, Sausen. Thank you. This was the end of our episode. If you liked it, please share it. And you can find us on all platforms and social media. Bye.